Awesome. Thank you, Beck. Thank you, team. What a word to uh, declare this morning that God is faithful, that He never fails us, that He never leaves us, that He's always with us in all circumstances. And uh, that was just beautiful to be reminded of that. Thank you, Beck. Thank you, team. Thank you, tech people. Thank you, uh, Dave and Joel and, um, um, and uh, Ben. <laughs> That was a really bad fail right there. Uh, they've disappeared. They couldn't be in the room because we're uh, above 10 if they're all in the room. So, um, uh, yeah, they'll be laughing right now at what I just did just then. So, Ben, it's great to have you on board, the staff team of the church. That's a, an absolute blessing and uh, awesome. Um, hey, I don't know how you're going with uh, isolation and with church not happening and with Sunday school not happening. I know in our household we are keen for a return um, but uh, thank you for joining us this morning with Online Church. Absolute blessing to have you with us. Um, I think, you know, it's, I'm fairly famously not a hugger, okay? People say this about me. I, I get uh, this kind of accusation leveled at me. I'm not a big hugger. Or I'm not a good hugger. I try my best, but I'm, not a, I'm, not, I'm really not much of a hugger. But I kind of feel like when we return and when we reach the point where social distancing is no longer possible, even I... I'm going to be keen for a hug, okay? I will be like the guys with those signs, free hugs. I'll be keen for a hug and uh, that'd be awesome. But until then, uh, it's great that we can keep meeting together. It's important that we keep doing this, prioritising this. For some, we love it. Uh, for, for others, maybe it's really difficult. But uh, it's also exciting, isn't it, to see that uh, uh, there are going to be some changes very soon to how we can meet together. Maybe not as a whole church, but at least things like life groups and just uh, friends getting together and things like that. So for everyone who's hearing this that's in South Australia or in Australia, isn't it amazing? We've actually been incredibly, uh, done an incredibly good job. So well done. Um, let's get into this message. Uh, we are doing a series on the book of Jeremiah from the Old Testament. Uh, if you haven't been part of that yet, Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet. And um, we've done two messages in this series. But I have been really, really keen for this series. Uh, as we got together at the start of the year and we mapped out series, different pastors in you know, Dave and Nick and myself, we threw different ideas in and different sermon series. But Jeremiah was one that I really wanted to do because I kind of just love the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet, and a lot of the book is about his prophecy, but there's sections of the book that are his story. It's Jeremiah and his relationship with God, and that is what we're looking at uh, through this series. The parts where Jeremiah is, uh, is in relationship with God, he's sharing his story, and it's a powerful story. So I want to kind of uh, go back, and I want to paint the picture for whether you've just coming in, this is the first time you've heard this series, or if you've been part of the first two. I want to kind of gather the story, because I think sometimes when we just grab a passage, we miss the fact that this is part of a, a story about a person, and there's a context here. And they're a real person, with real feelings and real questions, and, and this morning we capture that. So let me read to you from Jeremiah uh, chapter 12, verses uh, 1 to 5. And this, is, this section is known as Jeremiah's complaint. It says this, uh, you, are always right, you are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet, I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You've planted them 
and they've taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You're always on their lips, but you're far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for uh, the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. And then we have God's answer to Jeremiah. And God says this, If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in the safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? Now, I think that's an incredibly powerful passage and I'm going to draw out uh, the fullness of that in this pass- in the sermon this morning, hopefully. So let me pray and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'll speak through this word, your word, through this story, through this man of faith, Jeremiah, through his questions and through the way God responds to him. So that there might be something, not just that we learn about Jeremiah, but, but that we learn about, about you, God, and that we learn about ourselves and how you want us to live a life of faith in response to all that you have done for us. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, message one, if we go right back to the start, Jeremiah chapter one. Jeremiah was called by God. This is the crucial part of the story. Jeremiah just didn't have an idea, I'm going to go and do something. He did something in response to God's call on his life. God in uh, Jeremiah 1 uh, verse 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in 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 the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God set him apart for a purpose and with a call on his life. Jeremiah's reply was, alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. He made excuses. But the Lord said to him, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. For young people who hear this message, you're never too young to serve God or to follow after him. That's not the main message, but I'll just put that in there. God said, don't worry. You've just got to go and you've just got to do what I tell you to do. God gives him a mission, a calling and a task and says, don't be afraid. And it's interesting to note here right at the start what is not promised. It is not promised that it will be easy, nor is it promised that it will be successful. It is just promised to him that God will be with him and will rescue him and he is called to this mission. And so what happens is Jeremiah goes and starts speaking the word that God gives him. He's, he begins calling the people of Judah. Uh, and just to explain at this time in, uh, in the history of, of, of Israel, the Israelite uh, nation has been divided into two. And there's a northern kingdom, which is Israel. And there's a southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And the capital of Judah is Jerusalem. And so uh, uh, Jeremiah is speaking to the people of Judah Uh, based around the capital of Jerusalem. And so what's happening is basically that the people have gone 
completely away from God. They've been living a completely uh, false religion. They've had idols in the temple. It's just been the worst kind of uh, pagan worship and and debauchery and just the worst kind of behavior. And then a, a young king, Josiah, has come in and he's brought all this restoration and reformation and he's restored the temple. He's got kicked out all the idols. He's brought back the proper worship and the proper sacrifices and the pro- and the priests and all the, the right kind of worship. He's brought back in and the temple's been restored and it's beautiful again and everyone is thinking fantastic this is great the only thing is there's a problem as Dave mentioned last week there was a rat in the walls if you heard that message you know what I'm talking about everything looked good on the outside but in secret the people's hearts were far from God in secret people were going away and worshiping other gods still in secret and in private, these people, uh, outwardly their, their worship was wonderful, but inwardly their hearts were not turned to God. And so then in Jer- Jeremiah chapter 7, God gives Jeremiah a specific task. He says um, in chapter 7, he says, um, uh, Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, that is the temple. Stand at the gate of the temple. And there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You know, look, here it is, the beautiful temple. It's all good. He says, no, if you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the fatherless, uh, the, the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, if you do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place. But at the moment, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. So I want you to picture this. This is not just something Jeremiah writes down in a book or broadcasts on online church. This is something Jeremiah, he goes literally to the gate of the temple where everyone would file into the temple. Thousands of people coming in, they'd be carrying sacrifices, some of them, they'd be bringing offerings and they'd be coming in to conduct their worship. The temple was the most beautiful and the biggest and the most spectacular building in the whole nation. It was the center of their religious life and they're coming into this grand building kind of like someone I guess in a modern day setting walking into one of the grand cathedrals of Europe if you imagine people coming into it and Jeremiah's being told by God stand at the door stand at the door and start telling people they need to change start telling people they're actually not worshipping me the way I want them to start telling them they need to repent and Jeremiah does that he stands at the door and starts speaking out this word of repent reform change your ways at other times God tells him walk through the streets and start declaring this another time in the story um, he, he, he tells him actually to, to put a yoke which is uh, not like an egg yoke but a, a timber thing where you would bind a, two cattle together and then they would go out and plow the field together and he would put this on his shoulders and he'd walk around saying we're going to be yoked in slavery and he'd walk around saying telling everyone basically change your ways or we're going to become slaves now as you can imagine his message uh, didn't go down so well people ignored him people mocked him people laughed at him 
basically, Jeremiah did exactly what God had told him to do and no one listened. It's an interesting thing. Because I would think, uh, you know, if God gave me a call on my life, you need to go here, you need to do this, and, and I'm calling you to this specific task, you think, wow, what's going to happen? This is going to be amazing. I've got a word, I've got a, I've got a calling, I've got a task. And what's going to happen? Maybe there's going to be a revival. Maybe it's going to be exciting. Well, what happened for Jeremiah is everyone ignored him. In fact, those that listened to him hated him. It gets worse. There was a group of people from his hometown who were plotting to kill him. That's when you know your preaching's not going down well. Right? Okay, you know, when people actually decide, no, we think we're going to kill you because of what you're preaching. And Jeremiah is, is wrestling with all of this, that he's been given this mission, he's been faithful to God's call, and nothing good has come of it. No one's listened to him. No one's changed their ways. And so he comes to God with a complaint. Nothing makes sense to him. Nothing seems right, and nothing seems fair. And this message this morning is, is so important because this is about when faith doesn't make sense. When things just don't seem right. When things don't seem fair. Where is God when life is hard? Where is God when nothing works? Where is God when there's no fruit in ministry? Where is God when you feel called to something and it leads to, to, to not sort of life and joy and laughter and fun, but it just seems to lead to nothing? And you ask yourself, well, have I actually heard the call? Well, what's God doing? Have I got it wrong? Has God got it wrong? What's going on here? These are the questions that we're looking at. What's your theology of struggle and difficulty and even failure? Let's just go into these verses and get, we're going to look at them little bit by little bit. It's only five verses. Firstly, he starts off saying uh, with this fascinating, I love this verse. He says, you're always righteous, Lord, but I would like to speak to you about your justice. <laughs> Do you get that? Uh, it, it's like uh, there's an honesty in Scripture about, you look at Scripture and God continually, when, when you study the, the Word of God, you see that God is, is perfect and consistent and, and, and uh, perfect in His character. But when you see people and they're presented in the Bible, it's actually a great relief to me that people are real, which means they're flawed and they fail. And here He is, you know, you're always right, God, but, but I think maybe you're wrong. <laughs> Uh, you're always righteous, but I'd like to talk to you about your justice. And uh, you can see the contradiction in his words. But this is about Jeremiah wrestling. God is perfect. Jeremiah's not perfect. And there is a gap between what he knows and what he's experiencing. He knows God is righteous, but he's seeing injustice. He knows God is good, and he knows God is true to his promises, but God hasn't, at this point, been true to what he's promised to do. Um, how often do we how often do we trust God but not fully trust God? Believe God but not fully believe God. Um, if that's if that's you and I know at times that's me, there is great hope in this passage for us. Um, there's a there's a great verse in scripture where um, where someone comes to Jesus and um, Jesus says uh, they say if you can he says to Jesus if you can do anything uh, take pity and help us because his son his child is is very sick 
and it's got a demon. And he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity and help us. And Jesus says, uh, if I can, if I can. Uh, Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes. Uh, Jesus says, this is about you need to have faith in this situation. And the man makes this fabulous comment. Well, interesting comment. This is Matthew chapter 9. He says, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. <laughs> and I think we're like that sometimes. The honesty of, of the Christian journey. I do believe God. Help me in my unbelief. And trials and troubles tend to have us lead us to question God. We can be just like Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah goes on to say, why do the wicked prosper? He looks around and this is his issue. So God's going to judge the, the wicked, it says, but then the wicked are prospering. The wicked are thriving. He's struggling. He's being the faithful one and he's struggling. But meanwhile, the wicked are prospering and thriving. He goes on to say, you're always on their lips, but you're far from their hearts. That's the definition of religion right there. Religion is when God is on people's lips, but not in their hearts. And Jesus' description of the Pharisees was just like this. He would say, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, it looks great. But on the inside, uh, your hearts are far from me. And don't we need to pursue heart religion? Heart religion. For those who missed it last night, there was a worship night and I tuned into that and, um, and listened to some of that. And it was just, it just reminded me of, of like worship is something about, and this morning again, worship is about something where it just becomes about our hearts. Our heart desire to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind, all our strength. And it just brings us into that place where it's just lifting up a word of praise and honor and thanks to God. And you know, it's not just about, it's not just about words. Our faith is about what's happening in our heart, a heart that deeply desires God. So Jeremiah, you know, brings his complaint. You know, I know you're righteous, but I want to speak about your justice. The wicked are prospering. I'm not happy. But then he does make this comment, which I love. He says, yet you know me. Jeremiah is confused. Jeremiah can't make sense of anything. But he says this, yet you know me. And I want to just say that's a great word for anyone this morning who finds themselves in a situation that you can't make sense of. A situation where you don't have the answers where you don't know exactly what God's doing, you don't understand uh, why something is happening. You might have that great question, why God? Why is this happening? Why am I in this situation? Why hasn't this happened? Why has this happened? Why do I find myself in this place? And I want you to, I hope that you can know this morning the, the words that Jeremiah says right here, yet you know me. That whatever situation you are in this morning, God knows you. He knows you. The God who created everything, the heavens and the earth and the whole universe and, and every single person on it and every living creature and has been the God throughout the whole of human history knows you personally, intimately and deeply and loves you. Next thing he says is this. He says, uh, he says, how long, how long will the land lie parched? How long is this time of trouble and trial going to last? And then he waits for God to answer. And this is God's answer. Jeremiah, if you have raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with the horses? 
Now, what does that mean? Uh, well, I don't know if you've ever been to, uh, to a horse race. I'm not, I'm not advocating that. But uh, when I was a kid, uh, occasionally I grew up in, I grew up in Clare. Not, I didn't occasionally grow up in Clare. I grew up in Clare. And occasionally, very occasionally, uh, we would go out to the Clare races. I don't know whether I should be sharing this as a pastor. And um, I'd probably be about 10 years old and mum would be volunteering on something. My dad was a doctor. He used to be on duty sometimes in case there was an accident. And so I'd sort of spend the day with a, with a mate uh, cruising around trying to trying to guess which horse would win the race. And, and we'd love to, when the race was on, we'd go right down to the fence and we'd watch the horses run past. And, and uh, uh, the incredible thing about that is when you see a bunch of horses run past, you hear them, it, the sound is incredible. It is incredibly loud. It is just this incredible sound of the, the, ho- the horse's hooves just tearing up the track and this incredible noise and this rush and, and they go flying past at incredible speed. And what God is saying here is, Jeremiah, so far, I want to liken what you've done so far to having a run, a race against men. He's saying, Jeremiah, this is just the start. I've actually got something much bigger for you to do. I've got something much harder for you to go through. You've been running with, with men, but now I want, to, I want you to run with the horses. You know, we're 12 chapters in here, Jeremiah. There's 40 chapters to go. Jeremiah, you've been, you, if, if you stumble in the safe country, you know, where there's people and villages and roads and, and all of that, then uh, how are you going to cope with... Um, how are you going to cope with being in the thickets by the Jordan? Now, down by the Jordan was, was semi-tropical and it was a wild country where there were wild animals and there were wild people who lived down there. He said, you, you've, been, you've been in the safe country, mate. This, is, this isn't even, we're not even getting started here. It's going to get harder. This is not exactly what Jeremiah wants to hear. But God is giving him the word that he needs to hear, not the word that he wants to hear. He's saying, Jeremiah, are you going to quit because of the first wave of opposition? You've stepped into a calling, Jeremiah. You've been called to be a prophet and you've taken on that role. Do you want to settle back into a normal life, a normal job, eight hours a day, a steady pay packet, three meals a day, and then Netflix at night in your Ugg boots? Jeremiah, I've called you to so much more. I've called you to a big life. Are you going to step into that Life. Let me bring out four passages that I want to say about this very, very important one verse, this very important statement God makes. If you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with the horses? First thing I want to say is that the life God calls us to, the life of faith, is often hard and rarely easy. It's often hard and rarely easy. One of the heroes uh, for me of faith is a man named William Carey. He's a man known as the father of modern missions. I just love the story of William Carey. When he was a child, he was the son of a, a shoemaker. He grew up in a small English village in the 1700s. And he had a globe in his room. And he used to sit in the room looking at all these different land masses and places around the world. And, uh, and, and as he did that, God began to put a call on his life to take the gospel to the nations. And he stood up one day in a meeting and he said, I believe God wants us to go to the nations and take the gospel so that they might hear about Jesus. And and you'd be surprised by the response. The people said, sit down, young man. 
Connor, who do you think you are? In fact, they had this view of theology at the time that led them to say, if God wants to save the nations, he'll do it without you and without us. He'll just do it on his own. Interesting theology. But Carey just was so passionate about this that he progressed in his calling and he, he decided he, would, he was called to go to India. He landed in 1793 in Kolkata. He had to move to a place called Serampore a couple of years later and he began to do his mission work. He began translating the Bible, seeking to share the gospel with the local people. He had an incredible ministry. He translated the Bible into six languages and 29 other languages, or parts of the Bible, into 29 other languages and dialects. Incredible ministry. But not an easy ministry. You'd think, we would think, maybe in our Western way of thinking about faith, that if God sent him into this place, God's going to put this hedge of protection around him and it's going to be all be amazing and all be easy. But within a couple of years of being there, his son died of dysentery. His wife, unable to cope with the changed circumstances, had an incredibly major mental breakdown from which she never recovered. They sent over some people to help him. One of them lasted three weeks before he died. His close friend Thomas, who went across, died in 1801. His wife died in 1807. He remarried a year later. That lasted 13 years before his second wife died in 1821. His eldest son died in 1823. The, the, the local illnesses and, and diseases were so bad that most of the people that went and helped, many of them died at a very young age. He did all this translation work and then the building that the translation manuscripts were housed in burned down. He lost most of his work overnight. Surely ministry would be easier if God called, we might think. But the answer is no. How do I compare my ministry to uh, William Carey? Well, I've been sent to the difficult uh, mission fields of Unley Park and Aldgate. It's a tough life. Um, but in truth and without looking for sympathy, I've done 17 years of ministry. And in all honesty, there's been several times on the journey when I've wanted to do anything but continue in ministry. I thought I'd be pretty happy right now to retrain and get another job and have my, have my weekends off and just not deal with all the stuff that ministry brings. So why do I do this? Because God's put a call on my life. And it's never a call to, be, to do something that was easy. But it was a call to do something that God called me to. When God puts a call on your life, you do it not because it's easy, but because God has called you to it. Eugene Peterson said this, he said, The life of faith comes from being far more interested in God than self. And it has almost nothing to do with comfort, esteem or achievement. Let me read that again. The life of faith comes from being far more interested in God than self. And it has almost nothing to do with comfort, esteem or achievement. Jesus sent his disciples out and he said, uh, this is when he sent the disciples out on sort of a short-term mission trip. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. He says, be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils. You'll be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings. That When they arrest you, don't worry about what you have to say. At the time, you'll be given what to say. It won't be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. He says, you'll be hated by everyone because of me but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. There's a promotion for a short-term mission trip. 
Go on a trip. You'll be hated by everyone. You'll be flogged and you'll be put in prison. But when Jesus calls, you go. And the disciples went. We need to hear this in the West. Too often we have made our faith about comfort and convenience. And when it gets uncomfortable or inconvenient, we check out. Faith is about sacrifice in response to the incredible, the greatest sacrifice of all, the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for us. Christ gave his life for us. And in response, we give our life to him. And we put it on the altar and we say, here it is. We want to serve you because you are worthy of all our praise and all our honour and all our worship and everything we have and our finance and our time and our gifts and our energy. That's what we call to. Faith is about obedience. This is the second point. Faith is about obedience, not outcomes. Jeremiah, in a sense, right here is the ultimate failure. And I'll give you a little hint for the rest of Jeremiah's story. Spoiler alert, Jeremiah's entire life is a failure. He goes on to minister for decades more and no one listens to him. No one listens to him. William Carey, he did have an incredible ministry. But I can imagine what it must have been like for William Carey writing the letters back home. He went there to share the gospel and see people come to Christ. One year in, total number of converts, zero. Two years in, total number of converts, zero. Three years in, four years in, five years in, six years in. In his seventh year, the first local person became a believer in Jesus. Seven years in. Big doesn't always mean fruitful, fruitful. You can have something big. You can have something that outwardly looks great. It doesn't necessarily mean it's successful. What God calls us to is obedience ultimately, not success or achievement or what the world thinks is great. God calls us to obedience. Third thing to say here, and this is really important, is that a word of correction can be a blessing or is a blessing in disguise. A word of correction is a blessing in disguise. Jeremiah comes to God here and he he pours out his his feelings and his concerns. And maybe we kind of want God to say, hey, Jeremiah, let me just wrap you up in a big hug and say, you've been doing an awesome job. Thank you so much. I understand it's been hard. Uh, You've done enough. Um, You don't need to do any more. I know it's got too difficult. Take a break. God says to him, mate, this is just the beginning. Step up to something more. God challenges him at a time when he's struggling and calls him on to something more. And there's times when we need to be willing and in fact desiring to hear from from people and from God a word of correction and a word of rebuke rather than just a word of blessing. We want to hear the word of blessing from God all the time. But do we want to hear, are we open to hearing God speak to our heart a word of challenge, a word of rebuke, a word of correction? In Proverbs, it says, wounds from a friend, you know, can be trusted, but what does an enemy do? An enemy multiplies kisses. Uh, John chapter 15, Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he, someone, prunes. He prunes. He prunes the branches that bear fruit. He prunes. God wants to prune us. He wants to keep pruning us. You look at a plant and it's growing and it looks healthy, but there's times when it's got to be pruned and it's got to be shaped and it's got to be changed. And that challenge, that cutting back, actually is what leads to greater fruitfulness. Maybe this morning 
In fact, I want to challenge you this morning to pray a dangerous prayer. God, where do, you, where do I need to grow? What hard word do I need to hear from you? Where do, you need to, where do I need to be challenged? God, speak to me that word. And I believe that when we are willing to listen to that word, that is when we actually begin to step into the life of faith that God is calling us to. God, what are you calling me to? Where do I need to be challenged? Where do I need to be changed? What needs to be cut off? What needs to be pruned so that I may be more fruitful? Third point is this. God calls us beyond average. God calls us beyond average. There is an easier path to take in life. It's easier to be neurotic. It's easier to be a parasitic. It's easier to relax in the embracing arms of average. It's easier, but it's not better. It's easier, but it's not more significant. It's easier, but it's not more fulfilling. Jeremiah, God says to Jeremiah, I'm called you to a life of purpose far beyond what you th- thought yourself capable of. And I promise you adequate strength to sustain you through that journey. But now at the first sight, you're ready to quit. If you are fatigued by the run of the mill chores of apathetic mediocrities, what will you do when the real race starts? The race with the swift and determined horses of excellence. What is it you really want, Jeremiah? Do you want to shuffle along with this crowd or do you want to run with the horses? You're going to have to run faster. You're going to have to run smarter. You're going to have to be more resilient. You're going to have to be stronger. And I believe God calls all of us to be stretched in our faith, to grow in our faith, to, to be awakened out of dull mediocrity, to actually, to actually move forward in our lives, in our faith, to not accept average. God gives his best to us. Surely the call is to give our best in response to God. Teddy Roosevelt once said this, It's a fabulous quote that I love. He said this, It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belonged to the man or woman in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, valiantly, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself or herself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he or she fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his or her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who have never known neither victory nor defeat. We've got to step it up. We've got to step it up. I think about our missionaries, those in our church. I think about those who, who just serve and give heaps in our church and, and just give of themselves on a regular basis. These are people who have stepped out of the ordinary. I look at the Chinese church. You know, the Chinese church, one of the pillars of the church is persecution. And I heard a Chinese leader speak once. He said, we've got a problem in our church, a great concern that we are experiencing at the moment. And the concern is that persecution has dropped and we might become soft. How differently that is than how so often we think. God wants to call us out of the ordinary. Another quote I love says this, that a a, a ship is safest when it's in the harbour. But ships are designed to sail the oceans. A ship is safest in the harbour, but ships are designed to sail the oceans. And I feel like that, that a lot of our Western Christianity is Christianity lived in the harbour, lived in the safe place. 
The oceans are where there's storms and where there's wild winds and huge waves and there's danger and there's risk. But surely that is what God calls us to. To get out of the harbour of comfort and conformity and to give our best to God. I wonder if you've ever had a Jeremiah moment. A Jeremiah moment. Probably most of us had. In the church, there's lots of these moments. A moment where you say, I was serving, but I wasn't appreciated. I was involved in something, but there was conflict and difficulty. I tried something and it failed. I was serving, but it just got too hard. I got worn out. I got tired. I got exhausted. I got frustrated. I felt like giving up. I gave up. And maybe you need to hear this morning the message that God wants to challenge you. If you've stepped off the race, if you've stepped out of the race, to get back in the race. If you've hit pause and you're wondering whether to move forward, God says, hey, don't just move forward, but actually move forward into something new and something more challenging and bigger. You see, right at the minute, we're all in this break time where most of us are actually having time to reassess what we're about and what we're going to do. And when we return, the question is, what will we return to? Will we return to the same old? Will we just return to the same patterns, the same routines, the same habits, the same attitudes? Or maybe we will actually return to a greater challenge, to a new way of thinking, to a new level of trust in God. I believe that if we're not serving God in such a way that it requires us to depend on God and just to pray and call out to God and say, God, I need you, then we're probably not stepping out enough in faith in our lives. My challenge to you this morning is to ask yourself that question, to ask God that question in prayer. God, how do you need to speak to me? How do do you need to challenge me? Is there a word of correction I need to hear? And even even as I share that, there's probably some of you right now who something has come straight to mind. If there is, if that's you, then reflect on that, dwell on that and think about how you respond to that. But if maybe you need to go away and think about that, go away and do that. Take time. What is a word of correction? What is a difficult word? What is a challenging word that you need to speak to me, God? If there is such a word, God, would you speak that to me that I might hear it and take it into my heart and respond to it, that I might live my life fully to you? Would you go away and do that this morning? I'm going to get the band up now because we're going to go into our song. But the question I've got to ask is, what was Jeremiah's answer to the challenge? God put the challenge before him. What did Jeremiah do? Well, I suspect that Jeremiah didn't give his answer quickly. Jeremiah was now much more aware of the cost than he was at the time of his calling. He was a little older, a little wiser, and he discovered that the life of faith was far from easy. And in the end, we're not given in the text Jeremiah's answer in words. Jeremiah never speaks his answer. But Jeremiah's answer is shown in his actions. Jeremiah's life becomes the answer. Jeremiah replies to God, Yep, God, I'll run with the horses. I'll run with the horses. May you run with the horses too in your life of faith to the glory of God. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app. 